Welcome to The View from the Front. My name is Stan, and this is the August 3rd edition. And before I even tell you what today's episode is about, let me say, wow, guys, thank you for those who've been sharing and spreading the word about the podcast. It's been growing and seeing just the numbers from, you know, this week since last. The last episode really was just taken off, and I really, really appreciate it. So if you enjoy the show, definitely share it on your social media channels. That would probably be the best thing you can do to help it grow. So what are we talking about today? Today we're going to talk a lot about some various things happening in Ukraine that you absolutely need to know about. Been quite a few things that you do need to know about since Thursday. Unfortunately, a massive breakthrough is not one of them. I will explain all of that. I will also do a short segment on Israel. I had a uh, regular listener reach out to me and said, Stan, you haven't even talked about Israel and what everything happening there. So I will try to touch on that without going too much into the weeds. I have been keeping up with it, but... It's kind of a complex um, topic. And then I will also talk about, like we always do, we have a segment on, you know, bipartisanship slash America working or good news. I try to get those in when I can. And let me tell you, the one I have for this episode is amazing. There's a, it's just a crazy story. I don't even want to give it away. But basically, imagine someone on the far left, imagine someone on the far right who's selling like uh, Trump flags, Trump t-shirts, and imagine those two coming together and what might happen. It is amazing. So you definitely want to hear that. I definitely highlight, as usual, some military units. And then we always end, as usual, with plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end. So it should be a really good show. Let's get to it. If you are new to the show, let me say as background that I'm a proud moderate and that I covered the news for more than 10 years as a journalist. Before that, I served four years in the Marine Corps on active duty and two years in the reserve, all of that time in the infantry. And yes, that does matter. Because for my fellow infantry and spec ops folks out there, we know that we've been more cold, more wet, more hungry, and more wronged than just about any other MOS out there. But I'm getting off topic here. In this show, The View from the Front, I primarily do three things every week. First, I work to highlight what our military troops are doing around the world while also covering hotspots and foreign policy news that could affect our country. Secondly, I attempt to unite us and remind us of how lucky we are to live in America. Our division is our country's greatest threat, and I firmly believe two things. Most Americans are good, and more unites us than divides us. Finally, I always share plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end of each episode because I want to help encourage you and lift you up. Life is certainly hard, and each one of us needs all the motivation and encouragement and wisdom that we can possibly get. Thanks again for joining us. I really hope you get something from the show. I think I'm going to begin this show with just kind of a, I guess a mea culpa, maybe a Let's just embarrass Stan for a moment. I'm not real sure, but I know that uh, if there's one thing I can't stand, it's when people are wrong when they don't admit it. Or they don't even want to, not even not just admit it, they want to run from it. They want to pretend it didn't happen. So let's just, because I'm not that way, let's just uh, throw Stan in the mud here a bit. Because I've been right about a lot of things the past couple of years with this podcast of predicting this might happen or that might happen. But man, last week, I might have stepped in it. And of course, I stepped in it quoting lots of news sources and U.S. officials off the record. But I want to play what I said last week. 
And then, of course, me telling you guys, hey, I will probably be releasing a update by email in a day or so about this huge offensive that I'm about to talk about. And, man, you never got that email, did you? No, you did not. And why didn't you get that email? Because it didn't happen. But before we get to what did or didn't happen, let's just remind people what I said one week ago. And I will just stand here and grind my teeth as I listen to this. Because it's kind of hard. I listened to it earlier and I'm like, are you really going to play that, Stan? And I'm like, yeah, because it sets the tone. Because it reminds you of what I said and what we all expected. And if I make a mistake or if I basically share what is being said and what I think is going to happen, I try to vet everything as well as I can. And when I'm wrong, other media may not go out there and be like, hey guys, we were wrong, but I'm going to. And I think that's what responsible media figures should do. So... I'm just going to sit here. I said stand a second ago. I'm not sure why. I think I get nervous on a podcast, but I'm going to sit here and listen to this, what I said last week, and then let me update you on the situation. And you can just eat some popcorn and say, this is kind of funny, Stan. But here, here's what I said last week. We begin this episode by discussing a potential breakthrough of Ukrainian forces in their counteroffensive against Russia. I'm recording this on Thursday morning, so the news is still unclear and a little hazy and a little foggy, but it is starting to appear that Ukraine has committed reserve forces into the attack and that they are pushing south across the land bridge in the Zaporizhia area. Now, if you have no idea what I'm talking about as far as where this attack is happening, this is toward the south across the land bridge that Russia set up. This has been one of the main goals of Ukraine since the beginning of the war, is that if they could push across this land bridge, it will help cut off and eventually starve Russian forces in the Crimean Peninsula. Now, you can see a map of this area from my Substack page. So if you want to see a map just so that you can visualize what I'm talking about, Go to the Substack page. I have two maps there from the Institute for the Study of War. They're an amazing uh, resource, and these maps will help you visualize what Ukraine is trying to do. Yesterday, on Wednesday, the New York Times reported that the, quote, main thrust of Ukraine's nearly two-month-old counteroffensive is now underway in the country's southeast. This was written by the New York Times' Eric Schmidt. He's been correct on a lot of stuff, and he quoted two Pentagon officials who spoke on condition of anonymity. Schmidt went on to say that U.S. sources were saying that thousands of reinforcements, which of course until recently have been held in reserve, are now, quote, pouring into the grinding battle, end quote, along a front in the country's southeast. This description, as Schmidt said, follows reports from the battlefield from both Ukrainian and Russian forces. Again, It's also been reinforced from reporting from the Washington Post. They had a big story about it, and there were also lots of information from Russian military sources, bloggers, etc. on social media. They were trying to claim that the Russians had stopped the Ukrainians. Obviously, you have to take what the Russian sources are saying with somewhat of a grain of salt. The Institute for the Study of War also reported on these large attacks They've seen some evidence of it with satellite imagery and with some leftover battlefield remains of tanks. So there's definitely some heavy fighting happening. 
it's not super clear how far that thrust has achieved so far. I've seen some sources. One mentioned was the Institute for the Study of War that Ukrainians pushed a couple of kilometers, but then Russia tried to move some forces there and counterattack. This is, of course, a small part of a larger thrust, which the Institute for the Study of War discusses. So this could have even been a feint in this area, and then a larger thrust will help happen elsewhere. But as we discussed last week, U.S. forces or U.S. officials have been increasingly frustrated that Ukraine had not committed its vast reserves. They probably only used about a third or a quarter of the newer troops that they had and the newer equipment as they have been moving forward slowly, probing through mines, etc. Obviously, the frustrations of Western officials in the U.S. and Europe have gotten through to Ukraine, and they are now pushing aggressively. Man, that was just as painful to listen to as I thought it would be. It absolutely, it's almost cringeworthy, except everything I said was factual, except that massive attack didn't happen, which is why I didn't send a newsletter. And I almost sent a newsletter on Friday or Saturday, and almost on Monday, I even started it on Monday, to be like, hey guys, I didn't forget you, there's just been no major breakthrough or no major attack. And so you got to say, well, what exactly happened here? That, my friends, is a good question. And I'm just going to throw out some possible answers because I don't think anyone truly knows what exactly did or didn't happen. But here are some scenarios for you. I'm going to cover several of them, and they are in no particular order. But let me make absolutely clear that, just my own mea culpa, that a... Analyst for the Institute for the Study of War literally told CNN that, and I quote, we had not seen any evidence of a battalion-level attack and certainly no brigade-level attacks if the Ukrainians are indeed committing full battalions and brigades now, as reported, that would mark a new phase of the Ukrainian offensive. This was said by George Barros of the Institute for the Study of War. He said this on Saturday, and I'm always quoting the Institute for the Study of War. Their maps, their reporting has been dead on. They're nonpartisan. They are not pro-Ukraine, pro-Russia. They have reported it pretty much straight down the middle from the beginning, and they are quoted by many news sources across all media formats. Since that reporting, nothing has changed, clearly. So, now, if you were a huge skeptic, you might say, Oh, Stan, you're like so pro-Ukraine that you're, you're just not being fair. What really happened here is they were this huge idea that the Ukrainians are going to attack, and they tried, and the Russians just absolutely just stomped them. That's what they've been doing the whole time. Ukraine can't win. Russia is just, their military is just amazing, and they stomped the Ukrainians. Okay, so did that happen? Well, I'm going to go flat out say, no, that did not happen. How do we know that didn't happen? Well, here's a good reason why we know that didn't happen. It didn't happen because there's no video evidence or reporting of this. You guys know we've been covering this for months, but a month or two ago, when Ukraine did attack, how many times have I covered what actually happened in that attack. It was a night attack. It didn't go well. There were these damaged Ukrainian tanks. There were damaged fighting infantry vehicles. 
in Russia was just putting video up from all the different angles and the helicopter shooting and the artillery. Russia would not shut up about this because it was one of the few things they were able to brag about. So if there had been some massive attack that had failed, there would be video evidence everywhere from Russian sources. They would be just absolutely crowing about this until the end of time. But they're not. And the Institute of War isn't reporting any massive attack, neither is the Washington Post or the New York Times or any of the major sources. It didn't happen. So, it hasn't happened. Now, what? What happened? What? Why didn't it happen? What is the... What is going on here? So here are some of those options or, or theories or possibilities. And I've got to say that even before I mention these, I'm not the only one who's saying what is going on. All U.S. media and Western media, but certainly U.S. media, is just absolutely going nuts trying to figure out what has happened. And it was such a big deal that literally the Pentagon press spokesman, Air Force Brigadier General Patrick Ryder, had to address this with reporters on Tuesday, Tuesday, two days ago. And he literally said to repeated questions about whether Ukraine had made significant gains that, quote, it has and will continue to be a tough fight for them. And he again quoted the Secretary of Defense for the United States, Lloyd Austin, and said that this would be a, quote, marathon and not a sprint. So all these questions, they're adding stress to U.S. officials who obviously have tried to not only assist Ukraine's military but help fund part of it, provide military supplies, etc. So the friction's building, and obviously in the part I replayed at the beginning of the show, and obviously the week prior and the week prior to that, U.S. officials had increasingly been getting frustrated and adding pressure to Ukrainian military commanders saying, you guys got to go. Like, you've been talking about this offensive. Go. What are you doing? So all of the, this is all the background, and you got to have the background to kind of get the full story. So what could possibly be happening? Now, again, I want to stress these things I'm about to throw out, they are in, one, they're in no particular order. Two, no one really knows what the truth is, and it's probably a good thing we don't know as you know, operational, say, operational security is an important thing. But, so I'm throwing them out, no particular order, no one really knows. But with all that said, here's some possibilities that I'm just going to float out there. And I'd love to hear your guys' input. I don't claim to know everything. I'm certainly not <laughs> afraid to, you know, flog myself if I'm wrong. So here are some options, no particular order. Option one and I've got two different maps that I'll be throwing in to the episode notes. You can go take a look at them. So the first one's dated July 27th. It talks about the push forward into the area of Zaporizhia that's cutting across that land bridge, which was already discussed in the part you listened to from last week. I've got a map from, like I said, July 27th, and then there's one from August 2nd. So, you know, you got a good five, almost five, six days difference there. From the Institute for the Study of War, they're time-stamped, and it shows the advance. Now, if you look at those two maps, you will see progress. You'll see progress. Now, it's it's tough to tell exactly how deep it is because the range on the map is about 40 kilometers, 
and it looks like, if I had to guess, eh, three to five kilometers deeper since the last one. But I think a lot of analysts, and certainly myself, we expected just a massive thrust, a breakthrough, and a drive of armored columns that hasn't happened. So, But just throwing out the possibility that option one is because the Ukrainians do not have air superiority and because the mines are proving so challenging, option one is actually the Ukraine offensive is happening. They have pushed forward in the past week and they're going through the toughest part right now, literally the toughest part. And maybe Russia moved some reserves there. And so it's some challenging fighting. But as they're moving forward and making this progress, they still have not committed these additional brigades. Again, as I said earlier, reporting or uh, quoting the CNN, the analyst on CNN, no battalion or brigades have moved forward. So option one is Ukraine hasn't committed all that, but they have started pushed in. They've decided and they've literally created this wedge. Again, you can go to the episode notes. You can see the wedge. The wedge is happening. The breakthrough, so to speak, is happening and is ex- it has expanded in the past week. So that's option one. So option one is, hey, Western analysts are idiots. We were expecting too much. Ukraine doesn't want to lose tons of lives. They have pushed forward. They are taking ground. Russia can't take them. So I'll throw that out as possibility one. Again, we don't know if that's 100% the case, but at least that is an option. I'm going to throw out option two as, This is all a feint. All of this in the Zaporizhia area is nothing but a feint. Because if you look since the past week, uh, quite a bit of fighting is happening in the northern part near Bakhmut. Like, they have taken a lot of ground. They are moving into Bakhmut and surrounding it. We talked about a couple of months ago, I said, you know, the Russians took this city, but this could be just a huge mistake for them if Ukraine ends up letting them into the city and then encircles them and starves them out and takes them. Kind of is starting to happen up in Bakhmut, and it's increasingly being talked about. So was all the talk about this part in Zaporizhia, in the southern part, kind of a feint? I'm not sure. That's a possibility. We do know, historically speaking, that Ukrainians talked a lot about going into the southern part to take the Crimean Peninsula, and they talked about it for weeks and weeks and weeks in the last fall. And Russia repositioned, and all Western analysts were focused there. And then what did Ukraine do? They did a massive, pretty much a massive, of course at the time, this is relative speaking, but it was a massive attack in the northern part near Kharkiv. And they took a lot of ground with way less stuff than they have now. But they literally played Western media, and they played the Russians. And so maybe they were playing... Russians and Western media by talking about Zaporizhia because a ton of fighting's happening in Bakhmut and oh by the way the Crimean Peninsula which I'm which I mentioned there's some stuff happening there some very interesting things and in fact I'll even talk about a bridge strike there a little bit later in the show so the second option is maybe this is all a feint you just really can't tell could just nothing but a bluff get the Russian reserves to move So we know there aren't many Russian reserves. Maybe they move toward the gap. Maybe it's just a bluff. So those those are two options I'll throw out. Now I'm going to throw out a third one, which is maybe this is all going a lot slower than we expect. And it's kind of like a strangle type plan where 
literally the, the Ukrainians are just taking their time, keeping casualties to a minimum so that they can keep Ukrainian support high. And so if you look online, like I've been just pouring through social media the past week because I've been waiting for this big offensive that didn't happen. But even still, there are constantly new videos being put up of brand new strikes on Russian artillery pieces. The Ukrainians are really using precision strikes to hurt the Russians. So it's a verified fact that even in the past week, the artillery advantage that Russia had at its beginning is is getting smaller. It's diminishing. It's getting to become a little bit more even on these artillery fights that are happening. And you remember, it started out a 10 to 1 advantage for Russia. But even in this past week, you can see a lot of Russian artillery being destroyed. It's on video. It's all geolocated. You can tell by the terrain that this is current video. All the people who, who study this video, people who get into it way more than even I do, they, they literally have archived. It's not like you can reuse this video or say, hey, we'll put something up from a year ago. That's not happening. So without question, Russia is losing valuable, valuable defensive and offensive pieces of equipment. So maybe Zelensky and Ukraine's military leaders are saying, hey, we're not going to overcommit. We're going slow. It's going according to plan. Most of the pieces on the battlefield are set for both sides. We're going through this wedge. The wedge has gotten deeper. It's gotten bigger. And we're just going to keep taking our time and using some of this Western equipment to pinpoint and destroy Russian artillery pieces at long range so that we minimize the casualties that we take. So those are three theories just off the top of my head that I want to make sure that I threw out for you guys. But there's actually another theory. And this one, I've been an optimist. I've been, I've said that. You guys have heard me say that time after time. I still think the Russian army will break. I still think there will be a victory from Ukraine because they are just more motivated. They are fighting on their own land and they have more reason to fight. Having said all that, there is a fourth possibility. And it's a horrible wor word. And that horrible word is stalemate. And I wanted to share just a short clip from Alexander Vindman. He was a colonel in the United States Army. He obviously got dragged into politics. But he is a huge proponent for... Ukraine. He has Ukrainian roots. He literally just came from Ukraine after being there for a couple of weeks. He is very, very informed. And I just want you to hear this because I think, you know, I got to report all sides. And this is just one of those things that it, it wasn't fun for me to listen to. But I do think you need to hear this because there is no a surety or certainness of victory. And so let's just listen to just a couple of minutes of what retired U.S. Army Colonel Alex Vindman said, because this is, this is, uh, this is, this is just something you got to hear, unfortunately. So I went there and talked to basically all of the senior leadership in Ukraine to get their views on, on uh, what the situation is, whether relationships with the U.S. have substantially improved the short answer is not as much as you would think. 
I was also there delivering a bunch of aid, the first tranche of three and a half million dollars in gear to the uh, Ukrainian National Guard. Also trying to fine tune my own understanding and analysis of, of what's going on because I talk about this topic incessantly, according to my wife, and want to make sure I've, I've got a good beat on what's going on. When I engage with Congress in the White House, I'm, I've got you know, what, what amounts to ground truth. So what did I learn? First of all, the margins are too thin. Ukraine is absolutely surviving. Its uh, sovereignty and territorial integrity will remain intact, but the margins are too thin. Uh, right now, the Ukrainians are having a heck of a hard time breaking through Russia's uh, defensive lines. Uh, they, the Russians' defense right. invested in huge resources, massive minefields, long trenches. Kind of think about World War Two, World War One era trenches. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the Ukrainians are having a hard time, in spite of the fact that they've gotten some advanced equipment, but they didn't get all that they needed or in the quantities that they needed. A lot of things that were promised weren't delivered. A lot of it had to do with mine clearing and obstacle breaching type gear. So they're having a heck of a hard time. At the same time, they're destroying swaths of Russia's manpower. But the key to this war is actually not necessarily territorial gains in the short term, but it's the destruction of the Russian military. And once they achieve significant destruction of the, the Russian military, they'll have an easier time of breaking through lines and liberating territory. My question is, do the Ukrainians run out of steam before the Russians run out of steam? And that's why I think the, the margins are too thin. It shouldn't be this close. It's possible that we might, might end up with the worst case scenario, which is Ukrainians taking back small chunks of territory, but nothing super meaningful. I'm still cautiously optimistic that the Ukrainians are going to achieve what, what amounts to me as kind of the base case, that the Ukrainians do achieve substantial operational gains make things really, really difficult for Russia, whether that's through destroying this bridge that they attacked again recently or threatening Russia's ability to kind of move freely, all those types of things. That's probably the most likely scenario. The wishful scenario is is increasingly unlikely where the Ukrainians completely destroy the Russian military and this war comes to an abrupt halt before the end of the year. I think we're, we're going to continue to, in a way, muddle through this, this year, maybe into next year. There have been big picture geopolitical issues that have emerged. Putin's own fragility when when he had his own insurrection uh, that he has to deal with that frightened probably swaths of the the Biden administration and the West with this mirage of of a Russian failed state and who comes in to replace him. I think in a rather ineffective NATO summit in Vilnius just this past couple of weeks that instead of offering membership to Ukraine to, to, to kill this dream of a long war scenario for Putin that he could just wait out the West. Uh, we, we killed, we didn't, we weren't able to achieve that. Instead, we offered uh, a path to Putin where Ukraine isn't a member of NATO and can't become a member of NATO until the war is over, which is a recipe for perpetual war. So a lot of things happening. Uh, he'll, that's the, he'll make it a frozen right. conflict if we do sure. that. Right. Yeah. So there you go. There is a fourth scenario that I wanted to make sure I threw out there that I had seen or come across. Because like I said, I always want to give you guys the full picture, even when sometimes it's part of news that, you know, it's not fun to hear or share. There you go, though. Like I said, those are just four possibilities that I wanted to throw out there. It could actually be working. It's just going slower than we actually want or desire in the West. It could be a feint or a bluff. 
and a big attacks could happen elsewhere, or it could be part of some strangle top plan that's just nice and slow and it just continues to erode Russian combat power, or maybe the Ukrainians just do not have enough of a you know advantage in equipment, manpower, etc. to break through. Maybe the Russians had too long to dig in and maybe it's going to end up being some type of a stalemate situation. Those are four possibilities for why something bigger hasn't happened. And if you've got any that I didn't throw out that you've seen that has crossed your mind, definitely reach out to me. I even put my email in. So if you don't want to comment on social media, just shoot me an email. I love talking to you guys. I want to know what you're thinking. And if I'm wrong, tell me. I don't mind to be told I'm wrong. Clearly, I just played minutes of being wrong at the beginning of this episode. One final footnote on the Ukraine news. I mentioned the bridge earlier. You heard Colonel Vinman mention the bridge. So there's a bridge. We've talked about the Big Kerch Bridge, which goes from Russia to occupied Crimean Peninsula. And that's the big target. But closer than that, on the Crimean Peninsula, there's a bridge that connects the Crimean Peninsula with the part north where Russian troops are that Ukraine clearly wants to take as well because that's occupied Ukrainian territory. And there's a bridge there called the Chongar Bridge, and it was actually hit as well. Now this bridge, you can see it, I'm putting in the episode notes, video of the bridge that was hit. It was damaged pretty bad, and in fact, there are analysts who put up that Google was literally recommending you do a roundabout path to avoid going on it because it was closed. And so this roundabout path that was open takes 3 hours and 35 minutes. I've got images of that in the source notes. I'm also going to put links to some video of that bridge from Threads, which is obviously the new Facebook slash Meta app, which is way better than Twitter. I'll go ahead and throw that out there. But if you want to actually see the damage of the bridge, you can see that video. I'll put a link of that as well. But we talked about the potential that Ukraine is doing a stranglehold, possibly trying to cut the land bridge. Well, striking this bridge is just huge. If they can completely take this out, it will seriously set back the ability of Russian forces to move for Russian forces to resupply. I mean, three hours and 35 minutes doesn't sound like much if you're in a car and you're doing 60 mile an hour and you're driving to the beach or something like that. But for heavy combat trucks that drive 25, 30 miles per hour on roads that aren't as good, on roads that Ukrainian troops can target with artillery... I'm telling you, a three-hour and 35-minute detour is the kind of thing that shifts entire battles. It is crucial for the Russians to keep this bridge open so that their trucks don't have to have all of that additional need for fuel, additional uh, opportunities to be struck. These uh, Some of the analysts were talking about that this alternative route that these trucks will have to take these this is wide open area that's easily um i guess seen by ukrainian forces and potentially attacked so 
This is not good news for the Russians if Ukraine can take this bridge out, and I'm confident that they're going to continue to hit it. They've shown they can hit it. It's a much easier target than that really long 12-mile bridge called the Kerch Bridge, which we've talked about in previous episodes. This is a smaller bridge, but it's much closer to Ukrainian lines, and it'll. I'm confident, at least I'm pretty sure, that the Ukrainians will be able to take this out. And when they do, it's going to, again, if, we, if it is some type of stranglehold strategy that Ukraine is pursuing, this is going to be a big part of that situation or of that plan. We've talked a lot about Ukraine. Let's move to Israel after this quick break. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to and would like to help support the show, you can do so by signing up as a monthly paying subscriber. For $5 per month, you can help us sustain, grow, and improve the show. As you can probably tell, I truly do believe in trying to highlight what our military troops are doing around the world, unite our country, and remind us of how lucky we are to live in America, and share plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end of each episode, because I want to help encourage you and lift you up. Long term, being able to quit my day job would be a dream come true. It's honestly what I feel compelled to do. And frankly, being able to do this full-time would provide more time to cover news, unite the country, and focus harder on motivating others. These are all things I feel drawn to do. In that same line of thinking, I feel compelled to write fast-moving action stories about military service and police work. And while on the one hand you could simply say these are action thrillers meant simply for enjoyment, I think these books serve a deeper purpose as well as I think they help attract talented people to both the military and law enforcement. Obviously, these are two crucial needs for our country. But you don't have to sign up as a paying subscriber. I already have an awesome group of folks who are throwing a few dollars into the pot each month to keep the show going. And I thank God for each of these people. If it's meant for me to return to being a full-time author who also does the weekly podcast, then my dreams will come true. But on the other hand, if it is meant for me to continue working a day job and doing this on the side, then I will know that it is God's will, and I will be grateful for two things. For the financial stability my day job provides me, and I will also be grateful for the opportunity to reach hundreds of people each week as I try to help influence our amazing country's direction. If you would like to sign up to support the show, you can do that through my Substack page. You can find that at stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that is stanrmitchell.substack.com, or you can find it in the episode notes. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate each and every one of you and how much you're doing to support just a little guy from East Tennessee. So I promised earlier to talk about an update on the situation in Israel And I spent longer on the Ukraine section than I originally planned, but that almost always happens because I am very passionate about that situation. So what's been happening in Israel? You've probably seen a little bit of it on the news. The current government there under Netanyahu is not very popular, and as he has struggled to retain power there, he has increasingly been doing things that are not very popular popular. And so they recently, he helped push through a very unpopular 
law that would restrain the power of the Supreme Court to overrule the legislative and executive branch. So basically, it would limit the power of the Supreme Court. So clearly, a lot of people in Israel were not happy about this, and they believe that it is the beginning of potentially the end of a democracy in Israel, that Israel may become an increasingly authoritarian country that doesn't have, eh, I guess, a balanced government or a government that can be overruled in certain instances and checked by a judicial branch because the Supreme Court has most definitely been weakened. This new law was so unpopular that there were massive protests and there were even lots of Israeli reservists who said they would not report to duty if they were called up as basically as these protests got larger and so a lot of people believe that Israel is just trending in the absolute wrong direction and in fact it's so bad let me just throw out just a couple of things I want to mention first a column by, by Max Boot. He's a pretty well-known analyst, and he's he's been as pro-Israel as possible. And he writes this kind of painful article, this column about his Israeli roots, how many times he's visited, how pro-Israel he's been. And I was just shocked to read this. If you know him, if you know his background, that he would say what he ends up saying. But he literally suggests in this most recent column that he talks about how the U.S. and Israel are increasingly at odds and that, let me just read this one paragraph. Israel is now an increasingly illiberal and difficult ally, the Hungary of the Middle East. That's why it makes sense to discuss a phase-out of U.S. military aid to Israel, as was suggested in the New York Times by two former U.S. ambassadors to Israel, Daniel Kurtzer and uh, Martin Indique. And uh, Max Boo goes on to say, Israel is strong enough to stand on its own, and the United States should not be subsidizing policies that so many Americans and Israelis oppose. He further says, Israel remains freer than its neighbors, and it still has large numbers of citizens who are willing to take to the streets to defend its liberal, democratic values. The protesters give me some hope for its future, but it is simply not the same nation I fell in love with more than 40 years ago. I am sad about what has already happened to Israel and worried about what will happen next. Like many Americans, I simply cannot support it as unreservedly as I once did. So, wow. Very, very strong words by Max Boot. And he is a senior fellow on, uh, at the Council on Foreign Relations. He's, I would say some consider him kind of a, a hawk, a conservative hawk, pro-war, if you want to be a little critical. Um, I've agreed with much of what he said through the... You know, I would say he's an absolute pretty rational analyst myself so I've supported much of what he said through the past 10 plus years or so that I've kept up with him but to to see him write these words is just it is it's it's hard to even really wrap your hands around I almost want to just say it's shocking again but I feel like I've used that word too many times but it is if you are pro-Israel it is 
staggering to read Max Boots say that, and for increasingly Americans to not support military aid to Israel. I know there are a lot of um, funds that have increasingly been divesting or removing their portfolios that involve Israeli companies. So this is going to, at some point, start to be a more serious situation for Israel. So just to keep the update on the Israeli situation as short as possible, their government is doing some unpopular things. The rifts inside the country are growing larger, and their support from prominent American citizens who actually keep up with foreign policy and know what they're talking about, these people are increasingly not happy, and they are increasingly not wanting to support Israel. So there's your short update. If you've got a better version of how I should update that or disagree with what I say, I'd love to hear your input on that, but that's how I see it happening, at least so far. So let's wrap up the news part of this. Let's move to one of the best parts of the show, and let's highlight some of our military. Let's highlight some military units now. So every week I like to mention or bring your attention to certain military units around the world. And there are several reasons that I do this. First, the photos that I publish are from the Department of Defense, and they give some recognition for those service members and units. And they help educate the public on various jobs being done in the military. And they help inform you on locations our service members are serving. I think we forget about where all these units are. And so you can view all these photos from the link to this episode on my website. The first one is an image of some sailors on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier, the USS Gerald R. Ford. They are in the Adriatic Sea right now, and so there's a lot of guys in yellow, and there's one in blue, and if you've ever seen the choreography that happens on these carriers, 24-7, night, daylight, storms, windy, rain, it doesn't matter. They're always conducting flight operations except in the most extreme circumstances and it is a choreographed absolute science to this it's just it's almost like the NFL you think that you spend a lot of time in the NFL you know rehearsing plays and all these men and women who are in the Navy that run these flight operations they have it down to a science and it's it's magic to watch if you've never watched it on YouTube go spend five minutes watching it it's pretty amazing so wanted to give a shout out to those guys on the USS Gerald Ford, and of course there are a lot of ships out there with them right now. Now the next one is a replenishment oil oiler. The next photo is of a replenishment ship. It's the USNS Yukon, and it's sailing alongside one of the amphibious assault carriers called the USS America, and it's doing a replenishment while underway. And this is happening out in the Coral Sea, way out in the Pacific. But if you've never seen this before, essentially one of these supply ships comes alongside another larger, usually, naval ship. They basically get, you know, 20 to 50 yards apart. They fire across some ropes, and they bring across these long hoses to bring fuel. And they also usually bring food and other supplies as well. Depends on the type of ship. But they essentially maintain a forward momentum while resupply or replenishment happens at sea. And this is often a dangerous thing. It takes a lot of training. I'm sure every captain of any ship is 
as nervous as they can be when this is happening because you have two very large ships going alongside and neither can make a mistake because you can't you don't want to disengage the hoses or break them and you also certainly don't want the two ships to come alongside and collide so so it's a I don't want to say all hands on deck but it's a lot of folks making sure that these ships stay alongside each other and do this in a safe manner and it allows our navy all these ships to be out at sea for long periods of time I know during my deployment in 97 we were out at sea for 45 days at one point running some uh, air patrols off the coast of Bosnia back when the war in the former Yugoslavic Republic of Yugoslavia we were off the coast of Bosnia and so we were there for 45 days which is a long time to be away from port but it happens with many of the folks in the Navy and the Marine Corps. Now the next photo is of an Air Force Master Sergeant, Ryan Gregory, and he's simply doing pre-flight checks, and this is at a an air base in Saudi Arabia, Prince Sultan Air Base, and you know, I think we just forget that literally 24 hours a day, we got men and women that are literally landing planes, getting them ready to quickly be refueled and take off and go and continue their missions or continue the supplies they're delivering or sometimes it's personnel, sometimes it's fuel, etc. But these things happen 24 hours a day. So shout out to all those out in Saudi Arabia at Prince Sultan Air Base. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And the final photo this week is of an Air Force F-15 Eagle sitting on an air base in Japan there is the uh, 374th Air Wing out in Japan. They're stationed there, so appreciate all the hard work that those men and women are doing out there. Definitely wanted to give them a shout-out as well. Again, you can see those photos on my Substack page if you get the chance. And let me say that I want to thank all these members I've mentioned, as well as all the other service members who are deployed and activated around the globe. I truly do strongly believe that they're helping keep America safe and strong and that they're also helping stabilize the world and prevent stronger countries from bullying, intimidating, or invading weaker countries. And in my opinion, the facts are pretty clear. The presence of American troops around the world is literally saving an untold number of lives each and every month. So thank you if you're one of those who are serving or have served or if you have a family member serving. We really appreciate what you're doing. Now this next little section I wanted to do is something I'm pretty passionate about. As you guys know, part of the reason I started the podcast was obviously I wanted to give some credit and some attention to our military, which is so often just almost ignored or taken a grant or taken for granted. Apologies. And the other thing was obviously the war in Ukraine was pretty bad. We were when I first started this podcast, we were in the last final stages of Afghanistan and it was clear that probably President Biden was going to withdraw and then that whole mess happened and so I've been covering all this for a couple of years but you all know that one of the things that I'm very passionate about is trying to bring our country together during the Black Lives Matter protests when there would be fights between sometimes protesters and police but sometimes there would be far-right protesters who were angry about the Black Lives Matter protesters. So there would sometimes be fights. You've all seen them. Sometimes it'd get a little uglier than even that. There would be, you know, multiple people jumping certain people. And you'd see this just rising tension across the country. And I'm like, man, I, I can't just, like, 
keep quiet. And I'm not sure I can do anything about it, but I can for sure try. And I just kind of happen to have the background where most of my family is from the country, but I lived in a city and I w went to a very rough inner city school where whites were actually in the minority and there was quite a bit of, uh, you know, it was a pretty rough school, honestly. And but but yet most of my family was from the country and I was raised in a country church that was very kind of fundamental. And so I've always just been able to be that person who can basically bridge divides. And I know that even when you see a group of people on the far left or the far right, and no matter how angry they are, in the end, most of the time, many of them are very, if not all, not all, I don't want to say all, but many of them are just good people. They're absolutely good people who help you. And you all know I, I harp on this every single week and so i wanted to share the most amazing two videos i came across on tiktok and it involves there's a vendor a pro-trump guy who's very conservative and he's selling all kinds of trump flags and trump shirts and just trump you know material or, or products and so there's this liberal gentleman who would drive by every day and see this guy out there and eventually he decides to stop. And I'll, him, I'll let him share his reasons and what happened. But what you're about to hear is amazing how two people who are so far apart, how they literally created a friendship. So I think you're going to really like this. Give it just a moment and um, I think it'll really warm your heart. And it will also show you what we can all do. Well, what I try to urge each and every week, we can all reach across these what seem like wide divides, but they're really not. In some ways they're wide, but in other ways these are good people who are often just not completely informed the same way you are. If you saw the same news they saw, you would probably feel the same way they did, and they're good people. And the best way to help convince someone who's not like you to not do, you know, extreme acts is to show them that Maybe everything they're hearing about people who aren't like them isn't actually true. And the number way to number one way to do that is through love. It's not through arguing. It's not through posting comments online in some social media forum that are angry or divisive. It's literally introducing yourself and building friendships. And that's what you're about to hear. So check this out. Oh, and before I get any pushback... These are publicly posted, and I did reach out to the gentleman who posted them publicly on TikTok. His name's Terry McDowell to get permission to share this, so just wanted to make sure I got that administrative note out. But here they are. I'm Terry McDowell, liberal type person. This is my buddy Scott. I just met him. We're standing on the corner in Wildemar, Marietta, and I would think it would be safe to say that he is a MAGA supporter and ultra-conservative, okay? I stopped by to talk. We had been talking here for, what, five, ten minutes or yes, so? Sir. Yes, sir. And I came trying to figure out what it was that we shared. And after conversation, we have found out these things that I share, that we share. We share a love for country. Amen. Love this country. We share an appreciation of the Second Amendment. Okay? We yes. both support law enforcement. Yes, sir. We both support our military. Yes, sir. And we both have a love for family. He doesn't like Joe. No, I do not. I don't like 45. But we do like those things. So with that, we're going to leave. Oh, I also found out that he likes baseball. And, and so do I. 
So we can agree on that. And that's what we're trying to show. That no matter what happens, we can find some common ground and agree. So we can agree to disagree and be civil about it. So that video by itself was pretty awesome. But what's even more awesome is there is a follow-up. And you can tell that these two gentlemen have become somewhat friends and created a relationship. Check this one out. Hey, I'm Terry. I'm your favorite little dude. And this, this is my buddy Scott, okay? Now, you see all of that stuff there? Okay? This is where Scott works. This is his gig, all right? He flies his flags and he sells them, okay? Here's how we met. I stopped by because I live right down the street. We just, I just wanted to talk, see if I could find some common ground with somebody who did not share my political views. We sat. We had never met beforehand. This is what, like the fourth one out of six months or so? That... Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, I was on my way home. I saw his flags flying. I wanted to stop and say hi because you know what? The more that I do this and the more that he talks to me... Brings people closer together. That's the whole deal. Yes. See, we sit around and we talk about yeah, anything. We talk about baseball. We talk about hot dogs. We talk about the mutual love of our families. I thank him for his service in the Marine Corps, protecting my way of life, and allowing me to have the big mouth that I do. Okay? That's perfectly fine, because we can agree to disagree, which this country should learn to do. Amen, bro. So, if I can come out here and sit under these flags while people are driving by, flipping me off, and hey, looking and seeing what the hell I'm doing here, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. we can do it and we can grin. Because you know what? I'm really glad that I stopped by initially because every single time I see him here, I try to stop by and I'm always met with a smile, a handshake, a hug. Yes. He asks how I'm doing. We talk about our families and that's the way it should be. In America. Oh, so just so they know, have you switched to Team Joe yet? Not at all. He's getting ready to get impeached. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't want to hear it, but Joe's getting ready to get impeached. So, I did not go to the 45 camp because I think Trump's going to go to jail. But either way it goes, yeah. no matter what happens, the love of the country. And I'm always going to stop by and see my buddy. And I'm always going to be here for you. All right. So with that, we always say two fingers and a smile. God bless America. God bless each and every one of you. Again, brother, thank you for your service for thank our you. country. Thank All right? You. I'm going to go home, have some dinner, watch some baseball. Dude, you stay safe out here. I will, sir. All thank right, you brother. You betcha. Thank you. Man, like, how amazing was that? Does that not, like, warm your heart and motivate you to try to reach out and be a little nicer in your political conversations? Wow. Just, uh, that was just amazing so huge shout out to uh, terry mcdowell i'm not sure of the other gentleman's name you can find these two videos on tiktok pretty easy uh i will say if you want to see them actually you can look up terry mcdowell on tiktok at the uh alias at car cat 1976 with the word cat spelled with a k so it's at c-a-r the word car so at car cat k-a-t 1976 awesome awesome videos and amazing that even in my little world where i'm trying to do this there are people doing the same thing building bridges reaching across lines pulling this country back together i know i say it all the time we're as divided as we've been probably 
in at least 60 or 70 years, going back to at least Vietnam, probably further than even that. But we can undo this. We can keep this country pulled together. It's what we need to do. It's what we have to do for the sake of our families and our grandchildren. We definitely have more of that unites us and that should pull us together than divides us. So thanks for letting me share all that. I hope it helped warm your heart as much as it did mine. All right, so it is time for the best part of the show, the motivation and wisdom section. Hope you guys have enjoyed the show so far. I know it's a little longer than normal, but there was a lot to get in, and I think it's been pretty good. But let's get to one of the best parts. We're going to begin the motivation and wisdom section with a little pep talk. Because someone out there needs to hear this. I know someone out there needs to hear this. Listen. Life is passing you by. You only get one shot at life and you're letting it slip through your fingers day by day. Life has beaten you down, kicked you in the face, ignored you, punished you, rained on you, assailed you with illnesses and injuries, burden you with debts and levels of despair that I know are breaking your spirit. But you have to get up. Do you hear me? You have to get up. And you're going to start fighting back. Do not let despair win. Get up and take a step forward to confront these things facing you right now. Do it now. And let the following items that I'm going to share lift your spirit and take you to a higher level. You can do this. You're meant to do this. And you have to do this for yourself, for your family, for your creator. And with all of that being said, I truly hope these help pick up your spirits, that they help revive your hopes, and that they help make you a better person. I hope that pep talk helped motivate you and wake you up. I once read, if you don't think you're powerful, think of your most important relationship of that person who's depending on you. Maybe it's a son or daughter. Maybe it's a parent you're caring for. Maybe it's your spouse. If you don't think you're important, if you think you don't matter, imagine if you suddenly went away. Who would care for that person? Who would check on them, love them, care for them, help them? We are all way more powerful and important than we think. And the work we do, even that work we forget about and sometimes complain about, it's important. You can have an impact. You are having an impact. And now that you're paying attention, let's share a few more items to help feed you and make you stronger. All right, here is the first one. Friends should be like books, few but hand-selected. You have to have great discernment, do you not? Again, that quote was, friends should be like books, few but hand-selected. Next one. A strong soul never gives up, even when their heart feels heavy. They take one more brave step, then another, then another. Again, a strong soul never gives up, even when their heart feels heavy. They take one more brave step, then another, then another. Next one. Start and end your day with a smile, even if nobody else notices it. Your mind notices it and will put you in the right attitude. Again, start and end your day with a smile. Even if nobody else notices it, your mind notices it and will put you in the right attitude. Next one. This is an acronym. The acronym is FEAR. And the acronym for FEAR is F, FACE, E, EVERYTHING, A, 
and or rise. So the next time you feel fear, face everything and rise. Fear, F-E-A-R, face everything and rise. Next one. The best preparation for tomorrow is doing your best today. We always worry about tomorrow instead of today, don't we? The best preparation for tomorrow is doing your best today. This next one is one that I absolutely love. It's a slow process, but quitting won't speed it up. Again, that quote is, it's a slow process, but quitting won't speed it up. Man, that's a good one, is it not? Next one. Only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. That's a quote from Robert F. Kennedy. Again, only, the, only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. Next one. If you think you can, you will. If you think you can't, you will never. Mindset is everything. Man, is that the truth or what? If you think you can, you will. If you think you can't, you will never. Mindset is everything. You know, I learned this week that uh, Alex Rodriguez, the great baseball player, was actually cut in ninth grade, which, of course, is a similar story to what happened to Michael Jordan in ninth grade. And then we all know that Tom Brady got benched a lot in college. Even his senior year, he had to split up time, and that's part of what drove him to just almost develop this level of competition and just almost anger and fire inside of himself. But there's just something about mindset. You've got to ignore the coaches, ignore the critics, and you just got to keep going. Again, that quote was, if you think you can, you will. If you think you can't, you will never. Mindset is everything. The next one follows along nicely. You cannot keep a determined person from success. Again, you cannot keep a determined person from success. Next one. The growth journey is simply refusing to accept what society has taught you. Unlearning and making better decisions. Again, the growth journey is simply refusing to accept what society has taught you. Unlearning it and making better decisions. Next one. The future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Again, the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. That was a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. Next one. Never too young to start an empire. Never too old to chase a dream. It's a positive one, isn't it? Never too young to start an empire. Never too old to chase a dream. Okay, so let's do three from the Bible. This is from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The next one is from Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 and 4. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in the Lord is everlasting strength. And then we will do one from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. 
Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a good one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. So many men and women have sacrificed, fought, and died to keep this country together the past 240 years. Please work daily to unite our country again. The vast majority of Americans are decent, loving, great people. Also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. For those who are listening for the first time, let me say a bit more about myself and the podcast. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior infantry Marine who dropped the sword and picked up the pen. After joining the Marine Corps at the age of 17 to serve four years in the infantry, I exited military service, earned a degree, and spent 10-plus years in the news business, initially as a reporter, but then going on to start a weekly newspaper in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013. But once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 12 books, and while it's true I'm still writing, I'm now here as well, a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us, in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. If you were to ask anyone who lived in Oak Ridge during the nine years that I owned that weekly newspaper, they would tell you that I sought to downplay controversy, I worked hard to understate headlines, and I did my absolute best to never create panic, which is a terrible way to sell newspapers, but is a responsible way for a media outlet to act. I plan to do these same things with my podcast. I love the news, and we need the news, but we need to have news that's less over the top. News that folks don't dread to hear because it's too scary, and news that isn't so blown out of proportion and fear-based that it was clearly written to be shared and scare the devil out of people. The news shouldn't be a game intended to grab eyeballs and monetize dollars. It is an absolute fact that our democracy doesn't work if we don't have informed voters. And since we're talking about the news and informed voters, let me say this. I believe that foreign policy decisions are the most important decisions that we face as a country. They lead to greater consequences on the world stage, and they can lead to tragic deaths, either because we shouldn't have intervened somewhere, or perhaps because we should have. America is the world's leading power, and we mostly lead the world from a position of moral authority, showing other countries how they should behave in regards to ethics, restraint, and providing freedom for their citizens. Foreign policy decisions can be tragic and heartbreaking, and it's important that we get them right. It's also crucial that when we get them wrong, such as when we did in the Vietnam War, then the faster we can course correct, the faster we can reduce how many lives we lose. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I do think that much can be gained from discussing these issues and creating a community where we intelligently discuss the troubles confronting us, and where we work to come closer together and respect each other's views with more patience and kindness. A house divided cannot stand, and I strongly believe that more unites us than divides us. I will not remain silent while politicians, seeking their own personal gain, try to throw gas on a dangerous fire, doing their best to tear apart this country so that they can advance to a higher office. 
I will also not remain silent when we have media organizations doing great harm to our country by scaring people or creating panic. We face great challenges as a country, but America has stood together for more than 240 years, and it's only together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. So let's get a little better informed, and let's work to get a little more united as a people. Thank you for being patient and allowing me to share that monologue. I think it's important people hear what I'm about, and I think it's also important my regular listeners hear this message enough that it sinks in, that it affects what they believe, that it affects how they act. We need to hold and cherish the beliefs that got us here today. Beliefs such as kindness, patience, and a strong belief that our best days lie before us. These are the beliefs that got us to this point, and they're also the beliefs that will get us to a brighter future. Thanks again for your patience and for listening. I know it's not the sort of fast-paced, really hip, Twitter-friendly, TikTok-cool message that fits most podcasts that go viral, but maybe we've got a few too many podcasts that are like that. Maybe we need to go back to something deeper, to something firmer and more solid, to something we can build a foundation from, and that's what I'm offering. Now, we're almost to the end of the show, and I'd be a fool not to mention my books. I'm honestly a terrible salesman. I'm not pushy. I could do better about believing in my books and my side career that I'm trying to spring to life. See, all that motivation I share each episode, half of that, maybe more, it's for me. But in all honesty, my books are pretty good. I write fast-paced books, and when I say fast-paced, I mean really fast-paced. And if you read the reviews, people say they are gripping, compelling, and full of twists and turns. I've written a dozen books to date, and I've been fortunate to have sold more than 70,000 copies. If you're one of those people who've purchased one of those books, let me say thank you. I really, really appreciate it. Now let me say just a bit about the various series and books, just in case you're still here, and just in case you're still intrigued. I've got a CIA book series about a Marine Scout sniper named Nick Woods. There are five books in that series, and it's not only fast-paced and crammed with action, but people say the main character, Nick Woods, is one of the most amazing real characters they've ever read. He's not some Jason Bourne Superman. He's just a hard, tough man who was raised in the old ways. The first book in the series is called Sold Out because the main character, Nick Woods, gets sold out by the federal government. Obviously, that's why I named it Sold Out. Now, I've also got a detective series about a prior Force Recon Marine who becomes a detective. He moves from a big city, which is Memphis, to a small town, and he learns there's a lot more going on there than you'd think. It's got some organized crime in it. It's got loads of action. It's got a couple of cops die before the end of book one. And if you love that as much as I think you will, there's also book two. Book one is called Takedown. Book two is called Gravel Road. And Gravel Road may have one of the longest, most grueling hand-to-hand fight scenes you've ever read. Everyone talks about that. Now, I've also got book one of a private investigator series that's done. It's about an army ranger who's a girl's only hope after she gets abducted and the cops have stopped looking. There's plenty of action in it as well, and it doesn't hurt that the aunt of the girl is hot and she takes part in the chase. This book is called Hell in the Mountains. Now, I've got two realistic war novels. One of them is about World War II. It's called Soldier Own. It is just an unbelievable story. It goes into the realities of military leadership as soldiers get pushed and pulled through physical torment and mental anguish. Veterans who have read that book say they are just, it's just beyond gripping how real it seems. 
And then I've also got a realistic war novel about Afghanistan. It's called Hill 406. It's about a couple of Marines who end up having to disobey orders and risk everything to save some fellow Marines. Anyone who's been in the military knows that sometimes there are military leaders who are not that great, and this book goes into the leadership and how sometimes disobeying an order in order to save lives might be the right thing to do. Now, finally, I've got a motivational self-help book called Number 44, The 10 Traits That Carried Obama to the Top. This book is about helping you reach an all-new level and has absolutely no politics or left or right issues. It's crammed with information that will motivate you and inspire you as you wrestle and fight with your own challenges. You'll learn how Obama came from a broken family in poverty and conquered so many mind-blowing obstacles, including a crushing election defeat that most people aren't even aware of. This book will really help you in your journey, including teaching you ways to be optimistic that you can become something, persevere while doing the dirty, non-glamorous work, put in the reps as you improve your craft, stand strong against pressure from outsiders, never give up on your dreams, persist on those dreams even after early failures and burnout. It will help increase your confidence, help you become more self-aware, and finally, it'll even help you increase your charisma. I got all these tips and tools in this book that I think could really help you. If you are interested in any of these books, you can find links to them in the episode notes, or you can just go to Amazon, look up my full name, Stan R. Mitchell. Make sure you include the R because there are other Stan Mitchells. Just look up Stan R. Mitchell on Amazon, and they are all 12 there. For those who are still listening, thanks so much for joining us this week. I am out. I will see you next Thursday.